This morning, I'm continuing in the series, Living as a Minority Community in a Hostile World, and the topic before us is joy. The topic is joy. I want to talk to you about the joy of the Lord this morning. And I was praying before I came up here, Father, if I'm going to go up and talk to them about the joy of the Lord, it needs to show on my face. And so please help me to, to express what really is in my heart. And I'm praying for you too, because you can encourage me with the joy of the Lord on your faces rather than your normal, regular faces <laughs> that I've been contending with low these 22 years. So... Uh, Christians have always had a reputation for joy that confounds the unbelieving world. They just don't get it. They don't understand it. Yea, they can't understand it. Thinking about this topic, I was noodling around a little bit and came across uh, a letter that was written in, back in the second century uh, to the Roman emperor uh, Hadrian, and it was, uh, it was a letter talking about the Christians and, and basically informing Hadrian of how odd these people were because joy was such a part of their lives, and it was not the kind of joy that was easily understandable. So I have an excerpt from that letter here, and I want to just read it to you as we begin to think about this topic. This, this letter written to the Roman Emperor Hadrian says, and I quote, Every morning and all hours on account of the goodness of God toward them, they render praise and laud him over their food and their drink. They render him thanks. And if any righteous person of their number passes away from this world, they rejoice and give thanks to God, and they follow his body as though he were moving from one place to another. And when a child is born to them, they praise God. And if, again, it chances to die in its infancy, they praise God mightily, as for one who has passed through the world without sins. Now, I don't want to try to get in there and work through the theology. That's not the point. The point of the matter is, is that the, the, the demonstrable attitude of these early believers made an impression upon this Roman official such that he would write to the emperor to talk about these very strange people that the government was busily persecuting. Persecuting. Joy, according to one dictionary, a biblical dictionary, is defined as a delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. From a biblical perspective, it is not limited by nor tied solely to external circumstances. Joy is a gift of God. And like all of his other internal gifts, it can be experienced even in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. I like that definition. It is not based on one's external circumstances, and joy itself is manifest in spite of the outward circumstances. It is the joy that flows through life being a gift of God. Now, when you look at the topic of joy in the Old Testament, uh, more often than not, as you, as you track down the various references for joy, that, that they refer to an expression of joy rather than an emotion of joy. I thought that was really interesting. It is often spoken of as the expression of joy. So it's things like a sing to the Lord, shout to the Lord, make a joyful noise to the Lord, even dance before God. It is these outward physical expression of joy that, that, 
the scripture, the Old Testament scriptures, refer to often when speaking about the joy of God's people. The cause of their joy is always ultimately found in God and his blessings to his people, both his personal blessing of them and the national blessing of his watch care over them. They rejoiced over God's word, over God's protection, over God's deliverance from harm, over God's salvation, his steadfast love, his goodness, and even his fellowship. These themes are found in the Old Testament when speaking of the joy of the nation of Israel. If we were to aggregate them together, what, the, what it would speak to is really what's called the prosperous life. They found great joy in the Lord and expressed that great joy in the Lord because of the prosperous life that, that God brought to them. A prosperous life that, that would find its ultimate fulfillment and reality in Messiah's coming kingdom that they were intensely looking forward to. I was thinking about that, the, the, this outward expression of joy, and I was, I was thinking about our expression of worship and how important it is that as we experience the joy of the Lord that we articulate it, that our faces show it, that our mouths proclaim it, and, and yea, even that our bodies at times might proclaim such things, should you be so led. In the New Testament, the experience of God's people of joy is, is focused in on Christ. He is the source of joy that is, that is spoken of in the New Testament. It's because Christ really is the fulfillment of all that had been looked forward to in the Old Testament and, and all of God's work in and among his people in providing and protecting both personally and nationally is ultimately finds its full fulfillment in Christ. It is Jesus himself who has broken sin's curse, is it not? And it is Jesus himself who is that Messiah and whose kingdom is coming, coming. And so joy is very much a theme of the scriptures, both old and new. The people of God possess a living hope, a living hope that enables us to, to articulate and express and live with joy regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our circumstances. So the Apostle Paul can say in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about rejoicing in the Lord. And to do that, I, I have seven observations about joy. Seven observations about joy that we need to ponder and apply in our own lives so that we will fulfill Paul's command to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, rejoice. So here they are. Let's work through them and we'll move somewhat quickly through them. We're going to look at a lot of passages together, so get your Bibles out and, and track along. You'll benefit that much more if you will open to these passages and follow along. But the first observation, number one, is, is, our, uh, is the knowledge of our coming reward produces an otherworldly joy. First observation, the knowledge of our coming reward produces an otherworldly joy. When God saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he trans 
transferred us, he, he, he moved us from the realm of Adam, sin and death, right? Our union with Adam, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 5. And he has moved us to the realm of, of righteousness and life in Christ. We were once in union with Adam, the, which, is, which is a union of death and sin, and we have been moved and placed into union with Jesus Christ, a life of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. So we have, we have, been, we have been transferred into this new realm. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13, 14, Paul speaks of this, and he says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, excuse me, darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, when we become firmly convinced, firmly convinced that this life is not all there is, but that we have before us the life of the age to come, right? And so we can, we can call it heaven, if you like, for shorthand. When we become firmly convinced that, that this is real and this is what awaits us, then we can and will live with joy. We will live with joy. It is an otherworldly joy because it is a joy fixated not on this present life and the pain and the sorrow of this life. And there are some days you're doing well and other days you're not doing too good. And, and it is not, we're not to live like this, right? We're to live in light of the reality this, that we are citizens of a coming kingdom that is otherworldly. And therefore, we have this otherworldly joy. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 and verses 17 and following to just try to get an idea a little bit at some of the passages that talk about this reality. So Luke 10, Luke's gospel, verse 10, or chapter 10, rather, beginning in verse 17. Luke 10 and 17. Now the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. I have in, invested in you these, these 70 disciples. I've invested in you great spiritual authority, and you have been able to do amazing things. Nevertheless, verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the, spirit, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That should be the source of your rejoicing, not how good it's going for you right now, but instead that you are a citizen of the age to come, a citizen of the age to come. Peter, in 1 Peter, so go ahead and turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter is writing to the believers who have been scattered because of persecution. So a different context, right? In Luke 10, they're, they're having uh, you know, just amazing uh, uh, spiritual ministry. Life looks really good. They, they think the Lord is going to be super popular and everything's going to be great. They can't foresee that the nation's going to turn on them and so forth. But he's, he directs their attention. Listen, don't worry about that stuff. Worry about this. If you're in this. Right, that you're, that you're citizens of the coming kingdom. But here, Peter is writing to people who are not doing well, circumstantially. The life is not going good for them. So chapter 1 and verse 6, so Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. Well, in what? Well, that you have, verse 4, you have obtained an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, and that you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Rejoice in this. In this you greatly rejoice. And, and the idea is you superabundantly rejoice. I don't know if you remember, those of you that are old enough, the, the Toyota uh, commercial campaign where the, uh, the, the uh, 
person who was getting a Toyota would jump up and click their heels together. You remember that? That's Toyota joy. And that's what Peter is talking about here. He is saying, you know, have Toyota joy in this. That, that your, your place in the kingdom of God is absolutely secure. And even though, verse 6, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more perish, or precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Listen, in the midst of great difficulty, we can have Toyota joy if we remember who we are in Christ, what Jesus has accomplished for us, what lies in store for those who love him. Same uh, book, just flipping over here to chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Listen, if you are suffering for Christ, it is the evidence that you are his. And in that circumstance, click up your heels. Rejoice. Rejoice always. Again, I say Rejoice. Another one, uh, just flipping back to the left here, to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is where Peter and, and John, and they, they've been preaching. They've been warned not to preach there in, in Jerusalem. And then the next time they get you know, they preach that something bad's going to happen to them, and they're captured again, and, and this time they're going to be executed, but Gamaliel interferes uh, for them and intervenes, I guess I better said, and, and prevents them from being executed. But the authorities, they don't want them preaching about this resurrected Christ. So verse 40, they take Gamaliel's advice not to kill them, and after calling the apostles in, verse 40, they flog them. They beat them. And he ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. So they beat them. And then told them, keep your mouth shut. So, verse 41, they went on their way from the presence of the council. Check it out. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's an otherworldly joy. That's a joy that's unexplainable. That's a joy that, that gets you into the, the reports to the Roman emperor that you are a very strange individual. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, what did they do? They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It had the opposite effect that it was supposed to have because it produced in them joy. Produced joy. I'll give you just one more. We'll flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Verse 34. The writer here is writing to the Hebrew believers who are undergoing great temptation to turn back from Christ. To, to stop following Christ because to, for them to, to, to turn to Christ, to follow Christ, was to turn their backs on everything that they had ever known, their traditions, their families, their society, the synagogue, any and everything that made up their lives. And, he, and, and there's danger of them turning away. And so Hebrews is written to present Christ as the fulfillment and to warn the people, do not turn from him, for if you turn from him, there's no place else to go. But notice verse 34, reminding them of their early days with Christ. It says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. 
knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a a lasting one. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. That's crazy. Hey, I... Hey, brothers, sisters, I I got some really great news to share with you. I just had my house seized. (laughs) Yeah, my mortgage is gone, right? (laughs) Yeah, they've taken my property. Isn't that amazing? They've taken my property. They've impoverished me. Kicked me out of my house. But I have a house they can't take. I have, I have an inheritance they can't have. They can do whatever they want. But they can't touch that. And as long as I keep my eyes on that, I can rejoice. I mean, after all, chapter 12, verse 2. I have a role model. Run with endurance the race that is set before me, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. They seized my property. What a weird guy you are. Number two, joy is produced by the Holy Spirit who reminds us through the scriptures of our new status in Christ. Maybe I should say all seven, verse six of these, you're going to notice something, common theme. If you're paying attention, you'll pick it up before too long. I hope everybody picks it up by the time I finish with number six, okay? So that's your mission here is to find the common theme, ties them all together. Joy is produced, number two, by the Holy Spirit who reminds us through the scriptures of our new status in Christ, Romans chapter 14. So let's go to Romans 14. Now I know I'm jumping into a bunch of contexts and I just don't have time to develop them all. Romans 14, verse 17. Romans 17, 14. 14, 17. Thank you for that question. I like that. It's good. Yeah, if I'm unclear, yell it out. It's better that I get clear than we all sit here, you know, what do they say? A a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. So so let's get it straight. So here we go, Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, not these natural things, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. The idea is it is joy in connection with or or uh, as a result of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That is what the kingdom of God is about. It is this joy that comes to us because the Spirit indwells us. I mean, after all, turning to your right, Galatians chapter chapter 5. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Verse 22. Galatians 5.22, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit produced by the Spirit, the the manifest evidence of a life lived in, in conformity with and under the power of the indwelling Spirit of God is not a life marked by all that stuff that goes before it and enmities and outbursts of anger and hostilities and sorceries and immoralities and all these things, but just the opposite. It's a life that just flows over in love and joy. Joy. First Thess, turn to your right. First Thess, chapter 1, verse 6. Paul's writing to the Thessalonian believers here. If you remember from Acts 17, the church in Thessalonica was born in affliction. It was born in persecution. It was, it was born in, in difficulty. And he writes to them there, verse 6, he says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord having received the word in much tribulation with the joy 
of the Holy Spirit, the joy produced by the Holy Spirit. Listen, you received the life of the age to come in an environment in which it was really difficult, really hostile. There was high personal cost. And yet you're marked with joy. You're marked with joy. You see it illustrated in Acts 13. Acts 13. Where Paul, in his first missionary journey, after, after presenting the, the truth of the gospel to, in the synagogue to the Jewish believers, Acts 13, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 44. Acts 13 and verse 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began what? rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. They began rejoicing. You mean this, this incredible news is open to us? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Actually, it is exactly God's great plan. hey yeah! I can be saved too. Can we save too? Three. Our joy abounds even in sorrows. Our joy abounds even in sorrows when we live out the truth of our eternal citizenship. Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, or not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. We rejoice in our tribulations. What? Knowing the tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We understand that the problems we're facing, the trials we're, we're now experiencing that are the result of our commitment to Christ are not random. They are, they are not for our destruction. They are not going to lead to our undoing, but yea, just the opposite. They are being used by a loving God through his indwelling spirit to conform us to the image of Christ and to make us kingdom citizens and in that we rejoice we rejoice we rejoice James says the same thing right James chapter 1 verse 2 James chapter 1 and verse 2 consider it all joy my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy. Listen. Get your eyes above the horizontal and count it all joy, knowing that God is doing something in your life. That's hard? <laughs> yeah, it is. And in fact, if you lack the wisdom to see these things, verse 5, then do what? Ask God. Ask God for help. But ask him in faith. Because if you don't, you're tossed and you're turned from one to another. God delights in answering the prayer of his people for wisdom to see how he is using this in my life, their life, that they can live with joy. Now, I don't want to oversell this. doesn't mean he's going to show you all the illustrating. Hey, you're going through this. This is what's going to happen. You know, Let me show you what it's going to look like for the next 500 years. No, he's not going to do that. What he's going to do is he's going to drive you to the scriptures, 
That's where you'll find the wisdom of God. He will drive you to the scriptures, and thus you will see that your suffering is not random, not purposeless, but comes from the hand of a good God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, uh, I've written to some of you in the midst of great sorrow and suffering, and sometimes I've written to you and I've said something along the lines of, all praise and glory to God that he has chosen you to endure this time of suffering, knowing his love of you and his purpose in your suffering. Find hope in these things. Find hope in these things. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10. Paul is giving a litany here of all that he has suffered for Christ, right? Verse 4. In much affliction and uh, endurance, rather, and inflictions, hardships, distresses, he goes on and so forth. Verse uh, 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many riches, having nothing, yet possessing all things. Listen, as sorrowful, sure, there is real sorrow in life. Real, real sorrow in life. This world messed up. I'm messed up. So are you. There's all kind of sorrow that, that comes to me and comes to you as a result of this. And, and, and we even inflict it on each other. So it's, this is not some crazy idea that like, you know, I nothing ever is bothering me, whatever. No, there's great hardship, there's great sorrow, tears, sleepless nights, concerns, for sure. But Paul says we're always rejoicing in the midst of this. Listen, Paul's heart is being torn out by the Corinthian church that has turned their back on him. You can also say in chapter 4, same epistle, verses 16 to the end of the chapter. He's talking about all the suffering that he is, he is going through as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and it's being intensified because of this, this church, these believers that he has poured his guts out for. And now they're just blowing him off, turning away from the gospel that he has brought to them. And And he says, verse 16, though we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They're eternal. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul can say, right? For God causes all things to work together for what? For good. For those who love God, for those who called according to his purpose. Beloved, we apprehend that by faith, and it produces joy. Chapter 8, same epistle, just one more. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. What? The churches of Macedonia are in a great ordeal of affliction. And they are not just not very well off. They are in deep poverty. Listen, we do not understand poverty. Not in, a, not in a first century biblical sense. Pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? We're talking about people who are living hand-to-mouth, meal-to-meal. And these folks are living in deep poverty. 
deep poverty and affliction. And yet, Paul says, in, in the midst of this, their abundance of joy overflows out of this that they give financially to the relief of the saints in Rome. Wow. Next chapter, Paul will say, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a hilarious giver. One who understands. I can't take it with me. And I don't need it there. Because I have all the riches of God in Christ Jesus. Four. We find great joy in hearing how God has saved others and is growing them in Christian maturity. We find great joy in hearing how God has saved others and is growing them in Christian maturity. Go back to the book of Acts, Acts 15. Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas here are, are being sent out by the, by the church in Antioch to, to go to the Jerusalem council. And as they're making the way, verse 2, when Paul and Barnabas, that's not what I was looking for. Uh, verse 3, there we go. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Great joy to all the brethren. As they heard about how God was saving Gentiles, it brought incredible joy to these believers. To these believers. Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 and verse 10. Context here, the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling because Jesus is eating with sinners. Right? He's spending a lot of time with sinners. And then Jesus tells them a couple of parables here, right? He tells them about the, the man who has 100 sheep and he's lost one and he leaves the 99. He goes and he finds the sheep. And, and verse 5, when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And he comes to his friends and he said, hey, rejoice with me. I found this lost sheep or the woman who loses the coin, right? Out, out of her diary, or dowry rather, not her diary, her dowry. And, uh, and she is sweeping up and she finds it and there's great rejoicing in that. And then verse 10, in the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels of God are joyful. They are rejoicing to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And by extension, to grow in that faith. For example, I'll just turn you to 3 John. 3 John. If you have my notes, you can follow the others on your own. 3 John. Chapter 1. That was a joke. Just to see. Yeah, boom, boom. Yeah, exactly. To see if you're paying attention. 3 John, chapter 1, verse 4. John writes, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. There is great joy in, in, in observing or being used of God to see someone transferred from the realm of darkness into union with Jesus Christ. There is, there is great joy in, in being used of God to, to help someone move forward in progress in Christ. And there is great joy in hearing of others. Moving forward with Christ. Beloved, that's why testimonies are something we love to hear. We love to hear the old, old story, don't we? There is great joy in it. Listen, there is great joy in, in rehearsing our own testimony. And remembering what Christ has done in us. In, in remembering who we once were and who we now are. And, and yes, we're not who we hope to be someday. But, but praise God, we're not who we once were. That we're closing with Christ. There's great joy in that. Great joy in that. Five. Our joy will culminate with the end of the age and the fall of Satan's throne. 
It'll culminate in the, in the end of the age and the, and the fall of Satan's throne. Listen, our joy now is with eyes of faith, right? We look forward in hope. Not wishful thinking. It's a, it's a settled hope and faith and reality of the accomplished work of Christ. But, but there is still the, the devil and he is a roaring lion and he is prowling to seek the, whom he may devour. But there is a, there is a coming day when at the end of the age, Satan's throne will be destroyed. We see it in, in Jude. In Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior and through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let it be. Amen. Amen. You stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. When faith becomes sight. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12. I'll just show it to you really quick. Revelation 12. Verse 7, there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them to be found in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, and he who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing he has only a short time. Flip it over to chapter 18, where we see there the, the actual final fall of, of Satan and his world realm there in the lamentation for Babylon in chapter 18 and verses 19 and 20. And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out and weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Rejoice that God has destroyed the enemy of your soul. The enemy of your soul. Chapter 19. Verses 6 and 7. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Listen, have you ever been to Niagara Falls? Well, now water is pouring over Niagara Falls. That is the sound of many waters. It is loud. Have you ever been out in the West where the thunder clouds really form. And those claps of thunder can be heard for miles and miles and miles. I heard something like these crazy loud sounds. And what was it? It was the voice of his people. The voice of his people. Remember I said earlier in the Old Testament? The joy is not so much an emotion but an expression. And I heard the voice of his people saying, verse 6, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, what? Reigns! He reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number 6. Beloved, we lose our joy. Should I say we lose sight of our joy when we lose sight of either who God is, what he has done for us, or we deliberately disobey his will for us. Take an honest appraisal. 
Do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you look forward to being here? To being among his people? To proclaiming his glory? To expressing your joy? Would your life fairly be characterized by joy? Again, differentiation between happiness, there's a place of great sorrow. You could be in that place right now, but still. Do you have joy? Do you have joy? Listen, if, if, if that's not your, your experience right now, then let me suggest to you that you've lost sight of God. You've allowed your circumstances to overcome you, and you've lost sight of God. You've forgotten what he has done for you. Maybe you're, maybe you're doubting his, his love of you or his power. Or maybe you're living in disobedience to him. Maybe today you find yourself just on the wrong track. There's something going on in your life that puts you on a collision course with the will of God for you. No, you can't have joy of the Lord and to be living in opposition to his will. But here's the cool thing. Here's the amazing thing. Is that, I mean, it's the road back. It's like the, it's like the prodigal father. Right? He hikes up his, his, uh, his robe, pulls, reaches down, pulls it up between his knees. You got this old guy here, and this is not a dignified thing to do, by the way, you know? Bony knees, and, and he's running. He's running, right? With his arms, not, but, son, son, I love you. First Thessalonians 5, 516. I want you to see the connection here between gratitude and joy. Uh, beloved, gratitude fuels joy. Gratitude is the, is the rocket fuel for joy. First Thess 5, 16 and following, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything what? Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To in everything give Thanks. Maybe one more real quick. Man, I do this every week now, right? I have to apologize to the nursery folks, but I can't stop here. John 15. John 15, 9 to 11. Jesus says to his disciples here in the upper room, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full. Abide in me. Keep my commandments and your joy will be full. You probably all got it, but uh, all six of these have running in the background the gospel, don't they? It's all about the gospel. And that's number seven. We need regular reminders of the gospel. We need regular reminders, beloved. So in the minutes that I don't have, but that you will graciously lend me, let me read for you 
some propositional statements that help to summarize the gospel. They'll be on the screen for you to read along with as well. I'm not going to tease them out. I'm not going to elaborate them. I just want to read them to you. We need regular reminders of the gospel. Here they go, number one. While you were in open defiance against your creator, he, in his mercy, reached out to you and provided an innocent substitute to bear the penalty for your sin. That substitute was his own son, who willingly died in your place, rising again in accordance with the eternal plan whereby God had graciously decided to save his own enemies, and might I add, make them his sons. Because you had no interest in him, God sought you out, and through his Holy Spirit created the faith you needed to embrace his gift for you. In effecting your salvation, God not only freed you from the penalty of your sin, but also from its enslavement, granting you access to the power necessary to say no to sin's enticements. When you fail to say no to sin and reject God's will for you, he feels no wrath toward you but floods you with his grace in order to maintain your justification. Conversely, when you reject sin's allure, God's love for you does not increase. God's love for you did not end with your salvation, but extends to every circumstance and difficulty of life, whereby he subjugates them and forces them to do us good. Someday, God will remove you from this life by either death or Christ's triumphant return, and your struggle against sin will cease. At that point, you will enjoy unhindered fellowship with your Creator, Redeemer, and Friend. May God grant you great hope and comfort in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we have a lot to think about. We pray your spirit would apply his word as needful in each of our hearts. And that as he does so, reminding us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our hearts would be filled and flooded with joy inexpressible. It would show on our faces before a watching world. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.